so that that obviously seems like it'd be a very powerful moment in your move towards uh women's rights and mm-hmm. and and uh and victims rights mm-hmm. uh, it, so so then moving forward from that uh how did that then continue with your journey uh into feminism um well that specifically really changed the way i started thinking about modesty hmm. um because and, you know, sorry if this is too much, but I, when I went through puberty, I got breasts all of a sudden and <laughs> like in a major way. Oh, wow. And uh, like I went from being like a girl to looking like a woman, um, despite the, the braces and the terrible hair, almost <laughs> overnight. Oh, wow. And um it was, I noticed pretty quickly that girls who were, and I've also been like chubby my whole life and it, that's fine. Like that's yeah. just my body. Um, but I noticed pretty quickly that girls who were thinner than I was, um, like in high school and whatever, could wear clothes that were much lower cut than I could and it wasn't a problem. Mm. But if I wore literally the exact same shirt, then I was a problem, right? Like my body was a problem. So that probably set your barometer off a little bit compared to your peers mm-hmm. as far as what's modern, what's modest. Right, right. Um, and I sort of started realizing like, well, if, if my body was made by a creator, mm-hmm. then it can't be bad. <laughs> like if this is the way I was formed and if I'm formed in the image of a divine being, yeah, then the way I was formed must be divine. Yeah. That's not bad. Uh, Which like, it sounds kind of simple, but this was, was revelatory to me. Um, Oh, definitely. And like, you know, I had grown up thinking that, um, you, the term walking pornography was used a lot in the ward that I grew up in. I don't know if this is something that, that you're familiar with. But yeah, that's, a- that's pretty prevalent here in Rexburg. But for okay. anybody who might not be familiar with that, break it down for us real quick. Okay, so, I mean, outside of, of the, the church's relationship with, with pornography, there's the idea that women's bodies are inherently tempting for men and this also assumes that all men are heterosexual um and that it is women's responsibility to police their own bodies so that men don't have sexual thoughts about them which is bullshit uh like i can even send you if if you're interested I could send a, a person a talk by Elder Holland that calls out the fact that it's bullshit, even though he uses much kinder terminology. Um, <laughs> I absolutely but, love that. And and for anybody who would like to like to hear that, we would love to have that shared in the uh, Rexburg Love podcast Facebook group uh, yeah. for, for anybody to peruse if they would like to. And you can send that to me and I can share it if you don't want okay. to, uh, to, to disclose who you are. Yeah, I can dig that up. <laughs> um, but it's it's this I had always had the idea that like I needed to police my body um, in order to protect men from their own brains. And like this was something that I like I was like 14 when I had to start changing the way I dressed and behaved around grown ass men. Yeah. Uh, and and the idea the idea that a teenager has to grow a child, like, let's be very clear, a child has to police the way they dress around adults wow. because they're walking pornography. And, 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 and to compare the term pornography to, you touched on it real quick, the, the church has its own relationship just with pornography in general. Mm-hmm. And uh for the, it seems seems to be that for the majority of of members of the LDS Church, that pornography is a very negative thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and so to hear that it is now in your hands as a fourteen year old, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. to 
to make sure that you are either being a very respectful, modest, pure, and chaste person, or you could very easily become this very negative thing, mm -hmm. which is pornography. Mm -hmm. That's a lot to put on someone that age. It is ludicrous to put that on a child um, of, of, any, of any gender. Yeah. Uh, but especially, I would say, for, for girls who already have no power um, in, in, the, in the hierarchy of the church to, to put that responsibility on them mm -hmm. um, is wrong. And, and I can identify a little bit with this from the other side of things. Mm -hmm. uh, as a, again, very privileged male growing up in Rexburg, I never received a talk that said that I needed to police what I was wearing, how I was presenting myself, or else I would become pornography. Yeah. Uh, but, but, I, but I did hear that talk being given to uh, the other groups of my church growing up, which were uh, populated by, uh, by, by females or, mm -hmm. or people who are presenting and identifying as females at the time. And uh, that was something that I was, I was taught as well, that they need to be policing themselves because if not, they were going to be dangers to me. Yeah. As, oh, as they would oh, become sorry. pornography. Um, and, and further, like, there's also an idea that, that I grew up with, which was that um, it was entirely a girl's responsibility to keep a relationship from getting more physical than, than she wanted. Mm. Um, the idea of, of consent was never was never talked about. Um, but we did have a talk about how this is like the grossest thing, but boys are microwaves and women are slow cookers. Mm. <laughs> was this a thing that you had? N no, that okay. it, hence my visceral, visceral reaction. <laughs> you got to break that down for me a little bit. Okay. So I'll be a little crude cause that's just where we are tonight. Um, <laughs> but boys are horny all the time. Girls have no libido at all. And so it's, a girl's responsibility to keep boys from making chastity mistakes, if that okay. makes sense. Yes, that definitely does track with a lot of things that I was taught. It's a very interesting, uh, interesting it's the metaphor. Grossest metaphor. Can you imagine being a being a teenager sitting in a room with other teenagers and being told you're a fucking crockpot? Like, and I, I I have to. I mean, I can't help but wonder if there were uh, people in that group that possibly had higher libidos or sex drives that maybe started to wonder if they were wrong or broken Hi. Or hello yeah it was me <laughs> um yeah that was something that i i struggled with for um basically all of my dating relationships and then into my marriage wow. of like like I'm, um and this isn't just a, a church thing like all of um American culture mm -hmm. tends to believe that women just don't have a sex drive, which is blatantly untrue. And then when you um, combine that with with the sort of morality that that is uh, publicized by a lot of a lot of youth leaders, um, I'm I'm certain that there are a lot of girls and women carrying a lot of guilt about their sexuality that they just don't need to. Yeah, I would definitely agree that it's not uh, something unique to just the LDS church. Uh, it, I mean, I've even seen dumb memes online of where it'll be, you know, a boy's sexuality and it's a picture of just a light switch and then a girl's sexuality and it shows the control board for an aircraft or oh, something like Lanta. that. And yeah. uh, just seems like another one of those pointlessly gendered uh, things to me. Yes, yes. So, so to tie those lessons and those ideas that you had into this very tr uh, uh, transformative moment, uh, mm -hmm. late, late at night learning about victimhood, uh, how did things then go for you moving forward uh, with, with that view of what you were raised on and that uh, experience you had kind of shifting gears? Yeah. 
Um, it really changed the way I thought about modesty. Um, and then it was kind of like a a Jenga tower. Like once I started pulling on, well, more like a sweater, I guess. I'll pick a metaphor. It was like a sweater. Once, once I started like <laughs> pulling on that thread, um, I really started recognizing how my own recognizing and owning my divinity as a Mm. woman uh, and my worth as a woman and my ability to make choices for myself and to stand up for myself and to advocate for myself. And then once I figured out that I could and should be doing those things, um, I really felt like it was my responsibility to start doing that for other people around me um, because I sort of realized that, um, well, that like not all the, the women and girls that I knew like felt the same way I did. And just because someone might be ignorant or complicit in their own marginalization doesn't make them not marginalized it doesn't make them not have the effects of it yeah so so then as you uh as you adopt these these new viewpoints and and feelings towards yourself and others uh it it seems to me like that would would be at odds with the what we talked about earlier the the honor code of the of the school you were going to mm-hmm. and uh and just kind of the entire social structure of Rexburg. Uh, was that a, a, a difficult point for you to resolve your current views with the structure of the academy you're going to? In a way, yeah. Um, just, I think, I think the the structural thing that I pushed back against the most um, was kind of the idea that you get an education because it will help you be a better mother Mm. or this is something that like people told me um when I was after I graduated and I was like yeah I have my my bachelor's degree um a few people would say oh that's great because if your husband dies you can teach voice lessons oh wow (laughs) which is a problematic statement uh, for a number of reasons, not the least because you can't make a living teaching voice lessons. <laughs> yeah. um, but the idea that you, I deserve to be educated because I'm a person, like, was, wasn't, really, wasn't really talked about. It was, well, so that you can educate other people namely your children, or so that you can take care of yourself if something happens to your husband. Yeah. Um, and so that was, that was the thing in terms of the institution of the school that I pushed back against the most. Um, and especially being in the music program, um, there were a lot of really promising women. And being a, a woman in the, in the music industry is hard especially in classical music for a lot of different reasons um but then to add that pressure of um needing to be a mother or a wife in order to have value and um and it almost being sinful not to not to be a a stay-at-home wife if if at all possible Um, yeah I saw a lot of a lot of girls really struggle with that. So, do you have any specific memories of when you first allowed yourself to identify as a feminist, or when you first vocalized that you were for the feminist movement, or anything like that? I I do actually, um, <laughs> and it's kind of funny. So we were there was some local election. Uh, and I've always been like a um, a vote in every election type of person. And um, I remember taking like a, there are like websites that you can go to where you fill out a form and then it tells you like, oh, these are the candidates that you are most like. And I, 
I did that. And this was, this was after I had been married and um, I did that and everyone was on the left side of the spectrum and I came unglued. (laughs) It's like, I don't know what's happening. Like, am I okay? Like, am I still a good member? Like, I remember asking if I was going to get to keep my temple recommend. Uh, Like, all this was in conversation with my husband. Oh, wow. Um, and I was like, like, can I, like, can I still, uh, can I still be a member of this church if I'm going to go vote for a bunch of Democrats? Uh, and he was like, yes, you're overreacting and everything's fine. Um, because he's a very kind and pragmatic person. Um, but how, uh, how, how telling is it, it to be in an organization that doesn't have a written down law or rule that mm-hmm. you need to be on the right to be in this organization but just to know that 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 was a a a very real and valid reaction you had mm-hmm. after after taking that online quiz yeah yeah um it's certainly and i i feel like where i where i live now that pressure is is very different um which is not rexburg yes right? not okay. not rexburg um but i still like um i'm kind of like the ward feminist uh in my in my current ward okay. uh, which is kind of cool it's like being the village witch it's like <laughs> it's like there's this weird lady over there and sometimes she like yells about mary and eliza r snow and like it's fine sometimes she <laughs> says good things but like it's 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 funny they, and, and and so that is a source of pride for you these days. It it is it is. Sometimes Love women it. will come to me with like these little mini confessions, mm-hmm. um, and I of like when they agree with me, but they're not ready to like fully own. Um, I think that that part of themselves, and I, I take that responsibility very seriously. That's awesome. So so then so yeah, that's that's how you experience life these days, and it all kind of stemmed from that that quiz you took that started to show you hey you might be uh mm. not so right as uh, yeah. not so on the right side as as you possibly thought before yeah well it was it was a lot of things i also had a um i was in a course taught by uh a professor um it was the first women's history course that they ever taught at BYU Idaho okay um which, which was, was in in what year uh 2013 so around 2013 byu was having their first course in what was it again women's history american women's history american women's history okay yeah a little a little late on the game there (laughs) y'all but the the professor of this course was absolutely incredible um she she really took seriously that i um, I, I just got to interject here real quick as a as a native rexburgian hearing you use the pronoun she after you started talking about that class was (laughs) impressive to me i wasn't expecting that i thought thought byu idaho would go a different direction that's that's awesome so again sorry (laughs) no no, continue with this teacher um i mean she was she took very seriously the fact that um the people in that class probably wanted to understand um, privilege and marginalization and and those sorts of sorts of things, but just didn't have the vocabulary for it. Um, I remember she was she was so open, and I would like go to her office after classes and just like blurt out everything that I was struggling with. And was really patient in sort of guiding me um, in finding finding a way to advocate for myself while also maintaining the faith that was and is um, important to me. Love it. But also recognizing that like there are questions that can lead to not not wanting to be a part of this church anymore and like 
this could be the road that takes you to those questions. Yeah. And that's also okay. Um, it was a, a stunning class. I, I'm so grateful to, to her. Sounds like it. Yeah. Now in, uh, as far as you learning these things in that class and, and where you're at now as mm -hmm. a, as a relatively new student to feminism, I, uh, did you have a position as to what wave of feminism you were part of and, and, and what wave you're part of today? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know. I feel like at the time I probably would have said 3.5. <laughs> um, but I feel like the internet has really um, almost done away with the whole like wave system i was gonna uh, say the past few years it seems like those were exponentially getting shorter apart mm -hmm. to the point that now it's just kind of a general movement right yeah i would say the ability to instantaneously communicate ideas and the um somewhat level playing field meaning that like everyone who has access to the internet has the ability to um have their voice heard but we need to remember that not everybody has access to the internet. Um, so not just assume that everything is democratic because there are people without, without that access and they still deserve to have their voices heard. Um, Love it. But yeah, I would say that, um, and I'm not by any means a feminist scholar, but um I would say things are more of a public forum rather than, than waves, rather than having a few women really leading a charge. Um, I think, I think we're, we're allowing everyone's voices to be heard at once, which is both a great thing and a bad thing. Absolutely love it. If I could talk to myself when I was like first starting to figure these things out. Um, so I'll just sort of pretend that I'm talking to someone who is just sort of figuring things out. Uh, I'd want them to know that it's okay to have questions and it's okay to be scared uh, because when you've been brought up being taught and believing one way of thinking your entire life and then you realize that it's not working for you anymore that's so scary and it's okay to lean into that fear and to sit with it and process it and as long as you are still kind and as long as you're still a good person, then you're going to be okay. Like no matter what the answers to the questions that you have are, as long as you're still good, then you're going to be okay. Absolutely love it. Beautifully put. Thank you. Go ahead and share with us what you would like to share as far as your journey from uh, who you were you, uh, when you arrived in Rexburg to now in regards to the LGBT community. Okay. Well, I started thinking about, um, I, was, I was really on board with the whole like, well, it's okay to be gay as long as you don't act on it. Like, yeah. um, I was like, yeah, that's, that's a fair compromise. Like, like I had relatives who had never got married and they never had, to, like, they never had sex. So obviously, like, this was an okay thing to ask of someone. Um, sure. And quite frankly, then I got married and had sex and was like, oh, shit. Like, that's, like, that's, not, that's not great at all. Uh, you can't ask somebody to just ignore that part of their life and that part of their, their being. Because um, there's a big difference between, behind, between people who are naturally, you know, maybe lower libido, mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily needing that sort of interaction yeah. very frequently. And the, the, comparing that to telling someone, it doesn't matter where you're at, 
you need to start living your life celibate Mm -hmm. or with someone who you're not necessarily attracted to Mm -hmm. if you're going to indulge in those things. There's a big difference between those two. Yeah. And and, and you're saying once you were married, you started to recognize that difference? Yes. Um, uh, Yeah. I, I, so personally I include um, asexual folks as, as part of the the LGBT community. Definitely. Um, We do too. Okay. Cool. Um, just I, I have a few a few folks in my life who identify that way. Yes. Uh, and so I try to, to make sure that my advocacy includes them. Absolutely um, love it. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. Uh, but there, yeah, like you said, there's a huge difference between being between ace between being ace and and being celibate, uh, whether you choose to or not, right? Um and so I also, at this point, I was, um, I was married. I was attending a family ward. So I was no longer in the married student ward. I was attending just like a regular ward in Rexburg because my married student ward was a shit show. Um, and this was about the same time that the Supreme Court decision on gay marriage was taking place. And so it was kind of on the forefront of a lot of people's minds, kind of on the forefront. Everyone was talking about it. Like, and a lot of Mormons, I think, were, were freaking out because the whole paradigm of um of what marriage was to them was was changing and they were being asked to accept something that they didn't want to and i don't think they liked that very much and how did you feel during this time well no i thought the whole like oh no we believe that marriage is between one man and one woman thing like that didn't work for me because um growing up i was very well aware of the fact that my dad was sealed to both my biological mom and my stepmom yeah at the same time uh and so polygamy had never been this sort of like abstract thing for me it was it was there like it was it was real and like they weren't living in the same house, but like my dad had had two wives. Um, and like, that was, that was just something that I grew up with. Um, two and, wives, and, I guess in the eternal sense. Yeah. yeah. See, if, for anybody who, who may not be familiar mm-hmm. with that situation, it's it, not that he's currently married to both, but as far as the, the doctrine goes, uh, he, there's, you know, there's ceiling for time and all eternity, as well as just being married for this life. Mm-hmm. And you were, you were starting to realize that even though right now he's currently only married to one for this life, as far as the doctrine goes after this life, he currently had two marriages. Mm-hmm. And like, that is, um, yeah, there was, it was something that like, it didn't necessarily bother me per se um but it was definitely something that i it was more than just a thought exercise you know i think for a lot of members the idea of like oh could i share my spouse like is is a is a um an abstract thing but like it was very very real for me yeah um and 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 put in put even to greater focus when that supreme court decision is going through right Right, right. And so to hear to hear people be like, oh, marriage is one man and one woman, it's like, yeah, but but is it though? Cause <laughs> it it wasn't for a lot of the dudes that we say are the are the good dudes. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Um and at the same time, like I had I was fairly recently married and um really enjoying and struggling and um 
going through everything that comes along with that. And to me, the idea that someone could be denied that at a at a government level, like not necessarily at a um, theological level, but at a government level, like the idea that someone wouldn't be allowed to be in the hospital room where their partner was was going through you know whatever it is um or that somebody could be denied legal rights because the the person that they love didn't match up with with who everyone else thought it should be was just heartbreaking for me um yeah but i i felt like i couldn't talk about it because um because you'd you'd be shamed for it in in Rexburg you'd be ostracized and like i was i was already oh my gosh i had so such a hard time being a member of the church in Rexburg um I think if I hadn't left Rexburg when I had, I probably would have um, probably would have left the church um, mm. just because I I couldn't I would go to Relief Society and there were women in there saying things like um, if your husband looks at pornography, it's your fault for not being more available to him. Um and wow it, it felt like everyone around me was um having children which is i want to be very clear having children is a wonderful and valid choice for any like anyone who who wants to do that like as long as you're really taking the responsibility to to raise those kids um it's a beautiful choice and, and you should be commended for it. Yeah. But it certainly was not the right choice for me at that time yeah. um, for a number of reasons, uh, not the least because we could barely feed ourselves at the time. Uh, and I was struggling with some pretty serious mental health issues and was not ready to, to welcome a new life into that fold. Um, but that was strange um we had been been married for you know x number of years and and hadn't had a kid and that was um almost it felt taboo uh like even now i'm i still don't have a a a child i'm still a a married an active mormon woman and i am in my late 20s and i don't have a kid and uh there are people in my life who kind of assume that I'm infertile. Oh no. <laughs> Which like, you know, that might be the case. It might not be. We really don't know. But um, like people will but either. The, just the fact that that's under the microscope, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, they'll like in conversation with me, just be like, Oh, well when we were struggling to conceive, like we felt this way and I'm like that's so not the case here um like we're gonna have it's gonna be on our own timetable anyway I think I well, lost that, the plot a little bit no that's okay and I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm glad you went this way because this gives me a chance to apologize to you because I know in one of our early conversations when we first met I I, I made a very dumb blunder where as we were talking I decided to say when you have kids oh. uh, as if it was a foregone conclusion that I just want to take the minute, take the minute <laughs> to apologize for that now. I um, but, literally uh, but, don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that is, that is something that does happen uh, in, mm-hmm. in, in many circles. Uh, yeah. by, by, by no means are we saying that Rexburg is alone on this. I'm sure, I'm sure there are other very Mormon towns that do this other very evangelical or uh, even other faith, towns and, and cultures that do this, but mm-hmm. it, it doesn't mean that Rexburg gets a path, it pass either. Right. And, uh, and it doesn't mean that the, the, 
distraught and the feelings that you had around that stigma here uh, it, it caused your feelings to be invalid or anything like that. Uh, that that sounds like a very difficult thing to have to wade through as you live here in Rexburg. Um, it really was. I was just coming into the point in my life where I really felt the need uh, for close female friendships, uh, which was something that I I hadn't really needed or wanted up till that point. Um, and feeling so ostracized because of um, my, at that time I was uh, getting ready to pursue a master's degree and um, yeah, feeling really ostracized about how how I was choosing to live my life and um, the things that I believed in terms of my womanhood and, and what I deserved. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, I would come home from church every week and just sob <laughs> for like a solid hour. And wow. um, it was really hard. It was it was a really hard place to live. I still um, I know this is kind of a terrible thing to say about a town that like I know a lot of people really love and have ties to, but like I have a reoccurring nightmare that uh, one of my credits at BYU Idaho like didn't go through, and I have if I want to keep my bachelor's degree, I have to go back and live there for a year. Um, and that's a nightmare. <laughs> oh, it's a nightmare. Um, because I, I can't go through that again socially. Yeah. Um, I, I can't. Um, like the genie's out of the bottle. <laughs> like, like we can't, we can't put this back in. Yeah. You know, I am who I am. And that's a, that's a stark contrast to what you're sharing earlier about your views of mm -hmm. Rexburg and the Lord's School here. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, I want to tell I want to tell another story if that's okay. Yes, please. Um, so I participated in the women's march in January of 2017 uh, here in the in the city where I live now, mm -hmm. and um, it was tremendous. I uh, I actually ended up marching with the woman who was my graduate advisor at the time. Um, wow. And it was, it was, I'll, I'll be very honest. It was a spiritual experience for me. Yeah. Um, feeling that sisterhood with all of these women and, um, and being unashamed of who we are. And uh, I mean, if we, if we want to talk about like, um, ties to the Young Women's Program. Like, this was women celebrating their divine nature. Uh, and, and women of all backgrounds, of all identities, um, in, in, every, in every facet of the world. And I'm sure there were some dudes there too, but like, I was, I was there for the, for the women. Yeah, it, definitely. Um, and I got home and I shared a post about it on my social media and uh, I talked about like um, some of the things that I had grown up with and how happy I was like with the person that I am and, and being able to participate in, in that event. And a, a former young women's leader, uh, a former state young women's leader, uh, got on and said, well, I didn't go because I was at church with all, with all of the righteous women. Oh, wow. And I was like, first of all, it was on a Saturday. So like, <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> uh, but just, oh, that stung so badly. Um, it's very judgmental without being explicitly judgmental. Oh, yeah. And, and and I think, sorry to kind of interject here, but mm -hmm. I, I can't help but think about 
the feelings you shared of being here in Rexburg and feeling ostracized. And I mean, I, I would, I would doubt that any woman or man or anybody came to you and explicitly said, look, if you share these feelings, I'm never hanging out with you again. Mm -hmm. But yet still you had a very valid feeling of being ostracized here, yeah. which, which seems uh, like it was the complete opposite in the, in the women's March in your, in mm -hmm. your current town. Mm -hmm. And so, so even without it being explicit, it, you know, going back to this, this, uh, this comment on your post, it doesn't need to be super explicit to cut super deep. Yeah. Um, and it's like, it's like the concept of microaggressions, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's not that they, they're not micro because they don't hurt or because they, um, it's the emotional equivalent of a paper cut or anything. Right. But it's, it's this, they add up, right? Yeah. Um, the microaggressions are all of the tiny things about um, your culture or your society that keep you in the place that maintains the status quo. Yeah. And this, this goes back to uh, something we touched on earlier than I that I kind of wanted, wanted to expound upon once we fleshed out more of your, your story. Mm -hmm. But the uh, idea of the patriarchy. Yeah. I, I, I feel like to help frame it for... It's, it, what helped for me as a as a member of the patriarchy was uh, comparing it to what I had been taught about the gay agenda. Mm. All, all growing up, it was always there's this agenda, and it comes from the LGBTQs, it, from the gays, as it was put to me growing up. And they, they had this sinister plan to normalize their lifestyle and destroy our faith and destroy our culture, when in reality that just wasn't the case it was just yeah. people wanting to live their life and live their love and be true to themselves and it, that helped me understand what it was like as I came to grapple my own position in the patriarchy mm -hmm. because it can seem to those who aren't members of it that there is this hugely oppressive patriarchy that we you know we get together every Friday night and we talk about how we can more oppress women and right. and, and marginalize people who aren't part of us but it's 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 more of a systemic thing where you don't realize you're a part of it you don't realize the impact you have on the other side and uh, and it can be highly devastating without even realizing that you're being so devastating right like yeah I feel like a lot of folks when you when you use the terminology, the patriarchy, they think of like the Masons. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, like we, have, we have male rings and we have secret <laughs> handshakes that only the males know, right? Right. <laughs> um, and it's, you're, you use the word systemic and that's exactly what it is. Uh, it's just these systems have been put in place to keep in power the people who are already in power and the people and it's, who and it's are in like power. And it's not like these systems were designed specifically to keep us in power it's just how well, <laughs> i'm gonna disagree with you on that a little bit and that and that's fair i i feel like there's definitely situations where that happens uh but there there are also other times where like i mean i, I drawing from my own experiences there were times where i was just following the script Yes, absolutely. It, it was just, it was what I was raised in. And like, like we were saying, it was systemic. And there mm -hmm. may have been some meeting beforehand, but it's a lot smaller group of people that I, that I wasn't part of. And, and in, in the end, I end up doing way more damage than I ever signed on, signed on for because, again, I wasn't part of that secret right, society right, right. meeting. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I so, would agree with you. And thank you for that pushback. Uh, absolutely. I don't think there's a lot that individuals... Um, on, on the level that you and I are at yeah. uh, can do to like set up the systems. Um, but it's important to like, and, and when I say systems, I want to be clear. Uh, I mean the systems of government um, done by the state or by churches um, or by um, literally like any governing body. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, just just so that we're clear on on what I mean by that, yeah, uh, but in terms like, just because you're not part of the group that set up the system, 
doesn't mean that you're not benefiting from it. And it doesn't make it just because you're benefiting from a system doesn't make you a bad person. It yeah. doesn't, um, it, it, it doesn't mean that you have things. How do I want to say this? You're not a bad person. You're not, you're not evil. It, as long as you recognize that there are people who don't have the same privileges and rights that you do. Definitely. And as long as you are working to even out that playing field uh, and hopefully leveraging your position within the system, um, then, you know, I think you're probably okay. (laughs) Definitely. I love that. So uh, we are close to two and a half hours in. I've, ac- I've absolutely been loving this discussion. I wish we could just keep on going. <laughs> um, I, I, I would like to, to finish with, again, Rexburg Love, we have two main targets. Mm. Here at Rexburg Love, we want to be that voice of solidarity, of understanding, of love in the ear of whoever lives in this town or the surrounding area and feels alone and feels like they had a similar journey to yours, but they feel that ostracization or that othering or feel like they, they don't have anyone they can relate to. Uh, and, 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 and the other target we have are those who may not be aware of this side of things, of people going through these varying journeys of someone who took an online quiz and realized I'm not on the right wing of things <laughs> and and uh, and they, they don't understand how someone can resolve that with with their faith with living in a place like Rexburg and you've you've taken a moment and spoken to those who might be coming to similar feminist awakenings as you and I absolutely love what you shared uh, so to finish off I'd like to ask for anybody who may be listening right now who fits the quote-unquote Rexburg mold or, mm-hmm. you know, has possibly antagonistic views of uh, feminists or LGBT community allies such as yourself, if, if you could speak to the heart of those people here in Rexburg who might be hearing your voice, what would you say to them? I would want to say that we know the good and the bad of other people's actions by the fruit that it bears, right? By their fruits, you shall know them. Mm -hmm. And I would really want you to just pull back, take a step back and really look at the individual that you're talking about or or that you're you're thinking about and and not not what they're involved in not the the groups or the labels that they or you have associated with them but just really look at that individual and and what are they saying to you and what are they bringing in the world and I would say more often than not, they're just trying to make the world a safer, happier place for themselves and the people they care about. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be safe and be happy. I and, love that. And yeah. That's wonderful. That's all, that's all people want. And uh, one, uh, I, I lied. I have one final question. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, I, I feel particularly inspired by uh, this, this fervor and love you have for everyone uh, and, and these very non-Orthodox positions you have comparing <laughs> to uh, the, the populace writ large here in Rexburg while still maintaining your faith in, in the LDS church. And uh, I just wanted to give you space. If there's any sort of addition you wanted to add to your testimony or ways that you resolve who you are with your faith, uh, to, to give that space to you here if you'd like to share that. Yeah. Um, 
I am the person that my heavenly parents have made me. And everything that I do is trying to create a world that I want them to be proud of and trying to create a person within myself that I want them to be proud of and and to treat their other children with as much goodness and compassion as I possibly can that those those people deserve because they also are divine regardless of of their views or their sexual orientation or their gender identity or their status as in a relationship or any of it they're all divine and they all deserve to be treated that way um and yeah i mean i mean that's that's what it comes down to for me i love it beautifully put thank you <laughs> well thank you so much for sharing that for sharing everything for your time and uh, yeah, sharing absolutely. with us with us your beautiful story thank you to everybody who uh who tuned in to listen to this wonderful story uh shared by this absolutely thoughtful wonderful person uh, i hope we all can just take a minute and sit with the things that we've we've heard this has been absolutely amazing so thank you for listening to this episode of rexburg love we have a few more long-form interviews that are going to be coming your way on this podcast in the next few weeks. So please stay tuned and uh, feel free to reach out to us on any of our social media. As mentioned in the podcast, we do have a Facebook group that is starting up called the Rexburg Love Podcast Group, where you can go and share your thoughts on the episode, your thoughts on the direction of the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And if any of you would like to share your stories anonymously in written form for me to read or in a sit-down interview like this, and even non-anonymously share share your name, uh, put anything you want to it. We'd love to get your story out there on the, uh, on the interwebs. So let us know. Uh, thank you again for tuning in. We love you all.